हेलो एवरी वन एंड वेलकम टू द थिंकिंग आउट लाउड पॉडकास्ट द थिंकिंग आउट लाउड पॉडकास्ट फोकस इज ऑन थ्री इम्पॉर्टेंट एस्पेक्ट्स बिजनेस स्टार्टअप्स एंड कॉन्टेंट क्रिएशन थ्रू आर पैनल मेम्बर्स वी आर ट्राइंग टू डीमिस्टिफाई द स्टार्टअप इको सिस्टम द बिजनेस इको सिस्टम एंड द कॉन्टेंट क्रिएशन इको सिस्टम अक्रॉस द कंट्री थ्रू आर कॉन्वर्जेशन वी आर ट्राइंग टू सीक सम सॉर्ट ऑफ इंटीग्रेशन दैट इज देयर विद इन दीज थ्री एस्पेक्ट्स एंड हेल्प आर ऑडियंस अंडरस्टैंड दीज थ्री एस्पेक्ट्स इन अ मोर डीपर एंड रिफाइंड वैनर Tune in to our episodes to understand more insights from these three aspects across the Indian ecosystem. For the third episode of the Thinking Out Loud podcast, we have our guest Mr. Sarthak Ahuja. Sarthak in his time was the youngest Indian to have received the CA, CS and CMA degree, all three at the same time at the tender age of 23. Post this he joined his family business that had been consulting taxation and other consulting projects. Sarthak then went on to join ISB for his MBA program and he was the gold medalist at his batch. Sarthak willingly decided to opt out of the placements process at ISB to continue what he was doing before his MBA. Sarthak was a bachelor's in commerce from SSCBS which is a renowned college in Delhi University. Sarthak currently is also a content creator. with over 160000 followers on instagram he puts content on instagram linkedin as well as youtube in this episode samyak and i discuss with sarthak his journey his journey of cscs and cma what isb was why did he select isb over other global b schools why did he select isb over other indian b schools his content creation philosophy his thoughts on personal finance and all of this wrapped up in a in and around his business of consultation of investments of being an angel and much more so in this episode we get a packed up summary of content creation mba consultation angel investment etc etc so tune in to the third episode of the thinking out loud podcast with sardak ahuja Hey Sardar thank you so much for joining us on the Thinking Out Loud podcast Samya can I are super stoked to have you with us thank you so much for taking out your sunday uh, afternoon morning in the middle for us thank you so much for that likewise very happy to be here today awesome so sardar we wouldn't waste time and uh, start with the questions so i think samya has one question which is very Personal to him, given you're a CA, he's a CA, so would want Samir to take that forward. So, so I was, you know, we we just research about all our guests before they come, right? So, uh, on on your profile on LinkedIn, I saw that at twenty uh, three financial experts had you know put in that you are the youngest CA, CS, and CMA ever. So, so what's the entire story? Like, how did you manage your time around working? Uh, I'm not sure if you're working that time. but you know studying for all the three courses parallelly and you know tracking it at once at such a tender age no i think it wasn't uh, planned to be honest um back when i got done with my 12th grade i actually sat for four entrance exams the cscpt you know as they call it or or used to be known as the foundation at one point then there was the cs foundation exam there was the cma foundation exam and the bfi entrance exam which was for delhi university sukhdev college of business studies so kind of made it through all four i think it was the cbs or the 
Delhi University one, which was supposed to be the trickiest of the lot. Um, and the idea was to join CA directly after school. But, um, you know, as luck would have it, people said that if you've gotten a seat at CBS, don't give up on it. And you should totally experience what college life can bring to you. So I took that up, but I simultaneously decided not to give up on uh, opportunities to take the intermediate exam of the other three exams as well. You know, so immediately after my uh, undergrad, three years of undergrad got over, I started with my CA article chip. But in the meantime, I got done with my uh, intermediate exams of all three courses. And I started with my article chip. And I did not really do my uh, training for CS and CMA. They got exempted because of my work experience much later. However, the courses were structured in a way that you did not necessarily have to complete the training before you uh, appear for the finals. So I think that helped me kind of do all, all four degrees altogether. And it wasn't really planned that I would be the youngest in any year. I was just taking exams as they were coming, thinking that when I'm preparing for one, I'm simultaneously also preparing for the other because there has been a bit of an overlap in, in the subjects, you know. So you study cost accounting in depth one at one place, but um, right. maybe corporate <clears throat> law in depth in another course, and then it helps with what you're doing. So yeah, just just pure luck. Yeah, so yeah, I think the the corporate law part of CS would have helped you in your CA absolutely maybe absolutely, and the cost part also and the same in the CA. Correct. So yeah, I agree. So I I enrolled for CA uh, and then CS as well, but I never wanted to pursue CS because I was never a legal secretarial guy uh, in my opinion. Like I never wanted to do something like that. So I never went for the foundation exam only in the first place. So I, yeah. I just enrolled and I was like, no, this is not for me. Uh, I, I would rather stick to CA. And once I finished that and I started working with JP, uh, I, I took up CFA parallelly. And, and that was one of the best decisions, so as to say, because uh, the uh, aptitude knowledge which CFA gives you is, is unparalleled, at least practically. Because a lot of things which I did in CFA helped me a lot in practically applying it, whereas a CA was really less because it's more to finance accounts taxation, where I was into the risk side of uh, credit risk side of uh, you know JP Morgan. So, so yeah, but at 23, having so much, I I'm not sure you would have enjoyed those couple of years at all, right? You would have just like studied, studied, studied for like Nonsense. those two, three years. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was uh, I was part of the screenplay uh, society back in my college, so I was the director scriptwriter for uh, the the screenplay that year when I was in the second year. So wow. we actually went and performed at your IIT Kanpur's and IIT Bombay and all of these places, and we won quite a few awards that year. I was also part of the dance wow. society back in college, so I also did a lot of uh, inter college dance competitions and adamant competitions and whatnot so i think uh, i mean i saved time on not really taking any coaching classes so i -hmm. wasn't really the kind of guy who would just get back home and study i mean not really my thing i would not really you know it sounds very counterintuitive but uh, i would not really be able to study every day i think uh, before the Uh exams so right before my ca exams also for four months i think i kind of locked myself in and I studied uh, the entire day with some breaks in between for fitness and things like that. I would go running a lot 
back at that time just to ensure that i don't really mm-hmm. put on weight and i'm at least ensuring uh, you know some kind of workout to keep uh, burning the fat i was consuming during the day but apart from that i think it was a very chill experience back at delhi university it delhi university ensures that you have a lot of fun if you're going to regular college so mm-hmm. that way i don't think i missed out on anything at all okay fair enough that's that's wonderful like i've i've seen and I, it's my personal experience also like i had also locked in myself for four months and i never worked out i was okay to kind of put on fat for that four months because i wanted to just study study and study and you you just get pampered by your parents because they know that you're studying for a very big exam right so they'll also kind of you know just make food for you which you like and and stuff like that so i did put on weight and i never worked out so so i think yeah that that's where you you kind of aced it in terms of at least keeping yourself fit because i couldn't and i was not even bothered that time that i want to be fit and and stuff like that so yeah hats off uh, i mean that okay. that's something uh, you know like difficult to do when someone studying for such three four exams parallelly honestly so uh, sartak i just would want to take a take up a question from the queue you had put in right like uh, you said that delhi university makes it a point that you enjoy those three years of college right so i have had a, or i have seen a lot of students who you know actually gone into your srccs your st stephens your uh, shahid subdev chands etc and you know they've ended up getting phenomenal packages at the end of their tenure right so uh, from your perspective given that your ex isb ca and other professional degrees right in comparison or in parallel to someone you know who's uh, from a stephens or something and got into front end consulting at the very onset of of their career like how would you you know put those two entities together because now the mba degree in itself is also you know losing its sheen and you know it's the brands are getting diluted so like what would be your take on that mm, see i think uh, i mean personally speaking i don't know how much locus i really have being able to comment on how uh, how profitable a career decision it really is to take up a placement right after college um and i say that because i did not sit for placements back at cbs which was quite the exception because cbs was known for 100% placements and that's that's the reason why people would apply to that college and go in um reason i didn't apply is because i had to start with my articleship program so i knew that i had to kind of uh, sacrifice on um sitting for placements then came isb where uh, isb again it, i was probably the exception in our batch of 900 where i think about a total of 10 12 people decided not to sit for placements most of them came from uh, very big industrial houses you know where they were science who kind of had to take over the reins from from higher management uh, and and big corporates and conglomerates that their parents were running um the reason i decided at that time not to sit for placements is because i thought you know i want to do business consulting uh, for smes and most people who get into consulting end up doing it for fortune 500 companies and companies where it's maybe not even as impactful or needed i mean not to undermine what consultants do i myself am a consultant but i felt that probably my work could see greater uh, faster impact that we could try and do something for smaller enterprises to see are they really able to scale up their revenue 
are they really able to uh, have a better control on their finances and take better business decisions build mis build a system to be able to take more scientific decisions in business um so i think i decided to just take the plunge and figure it out and thankfully it's worked out better than what it probably would have been had i taken up a job but these are inferences you can only make you know looking back and trying to join the dots and figuring out how it's been which of course does not take away from the fact that anyone who takes up a placement i think i've got friends who are at amazing positions taking brilliant decisions in the kind of huge corporations they are in and some of them who've started up and built uh, massive startups have also done a phenomenal job so i think everyone has a different journey whatsoever but i would not take away anything that the mba brings for the simple reason that i think there are two purposes that an mba serves one is it gives you a brand uh, that you know you can go out in the market and you have a certain sense of standing you get a certain identity in the market uh, which defines your credibility second it gives you access to a network which is definitely helpful i feel i've gotten a lot of opportunities purely by being fact of by by being part of the isb alumni network and where people recognize my work are happy to refer me and you know happy to say that okay let's get sarthak on board to do this assignment or help us with this a lot of those opportunities would not have been open had i not been part of this network so i think the branding and the network are have insane value which is very difficult to put a number on and most uh, b schools across the world acknowledge that apart from that i think also the mindset that um, data is king no matter how much we studied data and numbers in courses such as ca and cfa i think when you actually do case study type learning in an mba program where there is no right answer but essentially your learning is just gathering various perspectives from different people who've come from different functions different industries everyone looking at the case from a different lens altogether but eventually everyone coming down to analyzing numbers to come to a decision and there could be several decisions and all of them could possibly be correct i think the sheer joy of learning in a format is that uh, a lot of the other courses did not really provide to me so that an experience also from a learning point of view i would not take away from the just a follow up question kartak so uh, on your mba and you are absolutely right that you know it gives you brand and obviously it gives you a huge network right so uh, my question was is the curriculum or is the is what you study in maybe your uh, something some college which is not as famous as the ivy leagues or the top 10 12 mba schools is the curriculum kind of same across all mba schools it's is it just the network and the brand name which makes the college better than others or is it's it's the way also that you are kind of taught or you interact with people that's that's also different because a lot of people go after big mba schools obviously because of the brand name and the networking but how is the pattern of the curriculum how are you guys taught is it different from a normal mba school as well i mean uh, first i'll give a more generic answer which which probably applies to most mba schools around the world so uh, i think no matter which b school you really go to which is, which is of some uh, stable repute um you'll be studying a lot of um 
Harvard case studies, you will be studying INSEAD case studies, LBS case studies, basically case studies published by um, research assistants, professors at, at different universities over the years, which have been published after months and months of research on specific companies. Um, so the, the kind of material you study um, is, is kind of available around the world. So you will realize at least what I studied at ISB for a lot of my course packs were HBR case studies, which if you search online were being taught even at a Kellogg, were being taught even at a Wharton, uh, were being taught, of course, at, at Stanford, Howard. So a lot of those case studies are uh, international and are taught around the world at most P-schools. So even when I would speak to friends who were probably uh, a couple of them who were studying at Water and a couple who were studying at LBS, they had all also been studying those case studies. Of course, beyond a point when you go on to picking electives, depending on the kind of elective you pick, you'll be given case studies which fit that subject. But I think mostly uh, international B schools tend to follow this model. Second, uh, again, I have locus to speak more from my ISB experience as to what happens there. So uh, a lot of our professors would fly in. So for example, statistics for us was taught by uh, Professor Stein and Waterman, both of whom uh, had statistics at Wharton. So they flew down from Wharton to teach us statistics in the first term itself. Um, then for marketing also, I think the gentleman who came to uh, teach us marketing in the first term was at that time the editor of the Journal of Marketing Research, which is the biggest research in marketing in the world. It's supposed to be number one. And he's, he's also a, a gentleman of Indian origin who's a professor at a foreign university. So I think the kind of access to professors that we got who taught us those subjects was also amazing because these were people who were actually working with companies, advising them on their marketing strategy, finance strategy, uh, data analytics strategy. So there was definitely a lot of cutting edge perspective on what is happening right now. So it wasn't just limited to what is within the case they would guide conversations in the classroom to a perspective where you were then forced to put that learning into a more modern perspective and see whether it still holds or not or is the case study dated or not and these professors would collate case studies for their own course so each professor would probably have a body of say 200 case studies out of which they'll probably put together 10 or 15 which they thought were most relevant for their class um, so I think that was uh, really helpful. And more than that, I think the very fact that ISB um, ensures that everyone who comes on board has minimum two years of work experience. I think that really makes a difference because that means everyone is coming with work experience to be able to add some practical perspective to the learning and not just theoretical, which is a complaint that a bunch of my friends who went to a few of the IIMs had. The reason they complained a bit was because they went after say three or four years of work X and they found that 70 to 75% of their batch had actually come fresh out of undergrad. So they felt for a lot of those people, they were quite laborious and they were studious, but they probably did not have the perspective that practical work experience at the workplace builds you for. So I think that's been a bit of a, a difference in what is a more 
um, Western Americanized way of doing an MBA and an Indian way of doing. It. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think Sarathar, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I just had one follow-up question for your ISB learning that you know I would want to break it into two parts. One, given that again I am from an IIM, I completely understand and relate to what you're saying, right? So, my first question is, or one is, when did you actually decide, or at which stage in your career did you decide that you know, hey, I need an MBA, right? So that's my first question. And second question is, given that you were the one of those ten, fifteen odd people who did not end up taking a placement from a college like ISB, right? So. how did that happen and how were you so sure that even without taking up a corporate job my experience at isb will be extremely helpful to what i will be doing or what i'm doing at the moment okay so i think to take the first one which is on when did i really decide on an mba i remember very specifically even back in the 10th grade uh, being certain that after i do complete my ca i would want to go for an mba program and i think that's because i started realizing back at that time itself that the ca degree probably by itself may not have as much brand value to to solve all kinds of business problems as would probably an mba degree would have so i felt that you know i think there, there would always be those conflicting views on should you be a specialist or should you be a generalist and um even right now they would see that there are a lot of bodies of knowledge which would say that you know for example there's this book called range by david epstein and it talks about how being a generalist in today's world is a more valuable skill because you have a wider breadth of knowledge um and having a wider breadth of knowledge gives you more opportunities to be able to grow and have more valuable perspective that you can pick up from different industries and apply them and connect the dots better to be able to make a better decision uh, so how i looked at it i felt that okay i probably wanted to try and balance out both so my ca degree would give me a certain set of specialized skills above and beyond which i also wanted to build a bit of range um so that decision had been there even when i was in school now of course what got refined over a period of time is that after the ca i wanted to then decide okay should i be applying to us colleges uh, should i be going to lbs because london business school um, had a, a kind of liking for accountants uh, you know basis profiling that i'd study of the kind of students who get in um, i figured that lbs was much easier to get to in in terms of international schools but i realized that okay in the long run i wanted to work in india now if an mba gives you brand and network i would probably not have been able to use my international network as well for immediate career gains as i would have possibly been able to use my indian network which is why the search narrowed down to indian b schools and i narrowed down to indian b schools somehow just isb was probably the only school that fit the bill in terms of the kind of experience i wanted from my mba um and of course i wasn't a cat guy at all like uh goes without saying i think i i would have sucked it the cat there is no way i can work hard enough to get like a 99 point i don't know what percentile to be able to make it isb seemed uh, something which probably fit my personality better 
so i happened to go to isb that was the first part second part about um that you asked about how was i sure if i'll be able to make the most out of my isb experience or mba experience without really taking up placements i think there was a lot of fear back at that time because it definitely did take a lot of courage at that time to decide not to sit for placements and opt out of the program and i remember speaking with the dean of isb sitting with him and uh, letting this concern be known that i am battling these two choices and how do i decide and i think what isb did to make that job much easier for me uh, i think the dean said that given how much entrepreneurial drive you feel of wanting to create something maybe 4 5 years down the line it will be so much tougher for you to plug out from a corporate job and restart so this is probably a safer time for you to start what we can do to support you is that if you are opting out of placements and if you feel you you want to try it out for one year or two years and it doesn't work out if you want to come back and sit for placements we will allow you to sit for placements for the subsequent batch or the batch after that as well and i think the fact that they gave me that comfort of a comfort net that i could go back and sit for placements if i wanted to uh, for the subsequent two years either of the two subsequent two years i think that just gave me a lot of comfort saying that okay let's let's just go try it out um so really thankful to isb to create these kind of opportunities you know where people who really want to do uh something by themselves can also uh, take that plan makes sense i think that that just very well answered the question and put things into perspective as to why isb is you know maturing to be a more western style b school than the traditional b schools that we had at I, uh, that we had in india which focuses you know on those two year full fledged programs and i think what you said about you know the subsequent uh, your placement thing i think i am ahmedabad is also doing the same and uh, the finshot founders they also had mentioned this exact th- same thing right like they got that leverage from ima to you know go out and build finshots and you know if that didn't work out they could probably come back and uh, you know give placements a shot at so great i mean excellent perspective on that so just a follow up there uh, sarthak so one two things i really liked it one is that there is this outliers and there is this range right so those two books are exactly opposites one is you know by malcolm gladwell who write that rapidly put in 10000 hours and you know special in something so you are the best and there is this david epstein who wrote this book and <clears throat> i agree so one of the reasons i moved to a startup was because of this generalist generalist role uh, i was you know able to do a lot of things which i never did there so i agree on you know the range perspective which you gave uh, a follow up on you know uh, now coming from the mba side to you know starting you know was the reason behind uh, you know working on getting you know helping smes only and helping them raise capital and you gave a share a little bit of that earlier in in the episode but why would you just like do it for smes and not you know try to uh, you know get hold of big clients because that that obviously helps you raise more money and have maybe have a better cut than what an sme would give you so so what's the reason reason behind just targeting smes or msmes 
No, I think what we're uh, what we're probably missing there is we're also missing the scale that SMEs in India tend to work on. You know, SMEs in India, with say businesses mm-hmm. who are easily doing hundred to hundred crores of revenue, are still considered SMEs by by definition in India. And uh, there are there are uh, capital requirements of about thirty crores, forty crores. You know, even in those kind of businesses where they are traditionally funded by bankers. Um, what has happened lately is that I think, given I had to restart somewhere or had to say start somewhere. After my MBA, I felt uh, starting from the umbrella of a CA firm gives you access to clients who probably want to raise debt capital or probably want some better MIS development in their organizations. What it does is it gives you the CA's position or a virtual CFO's position to be able to drive s- small financial decisions. And move up the ladder from there. For example, you've you've made a couple of financial decisions for a client, which they've been able to see the value from. Then, once you've got the credibility, you can say, okay, I feel that this particular thing in your marketing can probably also drive results. You know, and then typically a CA giving you marketing advice is not something which may be easily palatable by you because it may not. Same as your area of expertise, but I did my specialization in marketing and leadership from ISB. So, because I did my major in marketing, I also felt okay. Let me try and use certain analytic skills in in a few of my clients' marketing department, and I tried doing that, and I refined certain processes. So, I think they gave me the right base to start off with. I remember one of the first organizations where I also worked was a five hundred bedded hospital. Uh, it's a, a hospital of repute um, in in uh, central India, and um, they wanted to hire a financial consultant to develop certain SOPs for improving the performance um, at the financial control at the organization. And they were looking for CA firms. So in the proposal that I made, um, while the cost quotation was higher than the competition. I think the reason they decided to work with us is because I also came from ISB and I also came with some kind of, um, you know, MBA background and and certain more ideas on how it could be developed rather than just a CA's lens. Um, and I think it's it's places like these which made me realize that okay, the ISB degree or the brand is really helping me convert certain deals better, even though I'm charging higher because they definitely see the value. In the perspective, I'll be able to bring, and therein forward, I think I started working with certain foreign clients, and you know where, where the CA degree completely like went away. Then it's purely about you know what value we bring to the table, and gradually, as as the flavor of business changed towards startups, more and more people wanted to start up. I think the focus automatically moved towards investment banking. Uh, so yes, investment banking is now mostly that what we do uh, on a full time basis. Uh, agreed totally, and uh, a great perspective. So as to say, and obviously when you raise capital, you know the investors are obviously doing a lot of due diligence, uh, uh, and one of the key points being uh, what is the value that an organization will create with the funds they are going to raise. So. <clears throat> 
because I've been in the startup space, I've just realized a couple of things after reading a lot about it. So going after valuations and maybe focusing less on creating value for the organization. So as an investor uh, who's put, you know funding the startup, what is it that they are seeing will create value or even they are just after valuations that, you know, maybe this round is going to be cheap. The next couple of rounds can be big. So we'll kind of two, three X our money and we'll exit. So are they also investors focusing on creating value for the organization or even? Okay. So I think if we were to break this question down to first principles, let's look at how any person who's investing in business is basically a financial investor who's looking for a return. Now, if it's a bull market where there is a lot of liquidity in the market and you know everyone's got so much money to invest suddenly investors not having any lack of capital and having more and more capital to put in and so many more opportunities they will also feel okay let's deploy it as many places as possible uh, so that according to the power law of vc uh, the more distributed it is we probably have higher chances of cracking one or two or three which will just give us the return for the entire portfolio um, and when the entire market is doing it everyone is doing it of course there is a lot of homo based investing i think people can just know about it enough even from uh, you know their own retail investor investment journeys that they've had over the past two years i mean i have access to a lot of tax returns because our firm does it for people um, through which i can tell you that there have been so many people up over the past two years who've just invested so much into stock markets done option trading futures trading uh intraday trading swing trading i don't know what there are thousands of transactions and eventually it's it's come down to a minus five thousand or a you know barely two thousand so much time and effort gone into just doing it so whenever there are bull markets you know people have a tendency to just jump into it and see if they can make a quick buck out of it i think investors also get the same mentality when they're competing with capital and they're competing to create a return for their investors. Uh, now, whether it's valuation driven or value driven, I think eventually, as they say, eventually your investment decision for the long term are dependent on fundamentals and not as much on, you know, trading charts, um, because that's very short term and fundamentals are long term. Similarly, there could the market sentiment could drive certain things towards valuation over the short term but to sustain the long term one will have to focus on value creation how does one think of value creation one there has to be a 10x um, value proposition which means that if you are creating something new or solving for an existing problem in a new way you have to ensure that your solution is at least 10 times better than the existing solution it has to be 10 times better either in terms of being cheaper or being faster or being more time efficient in, in some way or cost efficient in some way or just improves the experience of the person doing it by at least 10 times and of course uh, a way to measure it is a simple principle of delta 4 which kunal shah has um, given in multiple talks and he's discussed it multiple times that you know your solution should when rated from 0 to 10 uh, how you would rate it on a scale from 0 to 10 where 10 being great and 0 being absolutely horrendous and what you would rate the experience before your solution was there the difference between the two have to be four or more for your product to really be a value add product uh, so i think eventually the market is only going to reward value um, we've seen that with a lot of people who've tried to create um, web3 startups 
uh, in the past where we've had people come to us saying that you know we've got this amazing solution and we've created something in crypto and web3 and would you want to represent us and a lot of times in fact we've just said no because even when they've tried to pitch it and explain it to us we felt we've not been able to understand the product completely and if someone is not being able to explain it to us in depth and we're unable to see it despite reading day in day out about blockchain technology and crypto and web3 we felt we were not comfortable no matter how much the market must be rewarding them at that time so i think uh, over the long term it will fundamentals matter and value matter absolutely agree absolutely so just uh, on your since you touched upon the web3 crypto space what's what's your take on on the entire space you do you think that this space will survive in the long term or is it it's going to go bust uh, or maybe just a couple of things will be surviving and rather than anything no, else will be bust. it it will survive and it will create a uh, create opportunities use cases to do things much better more efficiently so i have full faith in the technology but you know as it as it happens with everything you know initially there is a big euphoria around it and then all the dust settles and only people who are really creating value will continue to drive it because they are not in it to ride that euphoria they are in it to actually create value so i think cycles uh or the position in the cycles like the one we're in right now is essential to make the dust settle and this means that uh, only those people will continue to work on it who still believe in it who are still working on creating value um i have been reading enough reports in the past two years where it said that you know 85% of all um projects where they say that someone is changing um logistics through blockchain or someone is changing is is not actually using blockchain it's just using existing technology but they were just using that terminology to create valuations as you mentioned eventually value will have to show so i think tech may have amazing use cases in term um and i'll be very happy to be a part of some of those businesses in whatever capacity uh possible and and see the journey so do you invest in 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 the crypto space not as of now maybe any startups no, or i i have not invested in any any crypto asset uh whatsoever um because i felt that it it was a little too volatile for my investment philosophy um in fact even in terms of equities despite being in finance i almost just invest in um, index funds so or, or etfs so it's index etfs that's it i don't put any more brains to it because from a long term perspective i feel uh, market returns are also enough and the amount of effort and complication it takes and effort and time it takes to to try and generate alpha above the market um can be put for me better into upskilling myself in some other avenue that i find interesting so which is why i think that's that's been my investment strategy it's it's as simple as it can possibly be in fact i would also recommend this one book called uh, how i invest my money where 25 of the biggest fund managers of the world 
talk about how they invest their own money and you'll be surprised to know more than 75% of them just put it in uh, index because they like while we do that for other people in health preservation is just about you know as long as you're getting market return it's it's great excellent analogy i mean hats off to you know speak be very vocal about it and i've read this book called psychology of money by morgan housel even he is like been hardcore finance he writes so much and he's also been investing just in index funds towards the later part of this of his book he has also mentioned explicitly that i am just a vanguard spy uh, investor so so yeah i i mean i agree that you know the time and effort which you put you know it's maybe not worth it rather than upskill yourself or maybe put that time in your business and and i think see eventually beyond a point you know when when people make enough money in their lives what they do is what gives them pleasure and 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 value and what makes them feel fulfilled and for some people if just going after that alpha gives them fulfillment i think that's what they should do uh, so it probably does give them that fulfillment and which is why they put in that time and effort i think for me the kind of person i am i just like reading about different industries and understanding what's happening in the world um what are the new ideas what are the new trends um that gives me more joy than just trying to maybe make 2 3% more return on my investments so i think that's how i chose to do it no right answer awesome so i think uh, sarita now we covered you know the technical aspects uh, you know the serious aspects in the first half of the conversation right now we would want to move to something that is you know more personal more individualistic to you that's your content creation journey right um, so i would you know want to follow this question into two parts right first is basically you are centered around creating content you know with regards to personal finance startups investments etc right so what drove you you know behind selecting this genre and how has your experience been creating content for the startup ecosystem as a whole because samya can i also create content at our individual capacity on a very similar space and second is that you know there have been a lot of these articles by et prime and other news media houses that have been talking about how influencer marketing or influencer brand marketing is going to take a mammoth share uh, in terms of the overall marketing campaigns then the traditional movie marketing or you know advertisements that we were, that we are seeing right so what's your take on that like do you think that's going to happen do you think that's progressively going to happen or that's something like which is more of you know a fad sort of a thing that's going on okay so uh, firstly with respect to my content creation journey i think um the reason i started is because one whatever frameworks i was learning about business i felt a lot of them were being asked to me or originally when it started was a lot of the questions i would get on a daily basis were repeat questions and i felt this was a way for me to just productize my answers so now if any person sends me or a client sends me a question you know wanting to understand something and i've already made a video or and given an answer to it i can just send them the link rather to having to explain it again so i think it just started more as a productization of my service uh, to save time that's where it originally started after about 90 days i realized that my entire body of knowledge was almost over and i did not have any new topics to talk about that's when it really hit me that you know in just about 90 to 100 days you 
your entire knowledge can be summarized and you don't know anything more beyond it you have to really think really hard to be like okay what more do i know and i think that was the inflection point which made me realize that okay if i have to take out one insight every day that means i'm driven to learn one new thing every day and to take out one insight you may have to do at least 10 20 units of input to take out just one unit of output so i think it just became my system of learning every day so content creation for me is just my it's like your daily gymming daily workout it's my daily mental workout and learning framework and system to ensure that i'm learning everything when i'm learning everything or whatever i'm learning i want to also be able to give it out easily to people so that people can use it apply it come back to me with feedback saying okay what you've said is incorrect in these situations or correct in these situations because then i may not be able to apply every framework because i may not get those many opportunities in my clients but when i'm putting it out there uh trying to apply it to some of my clients and probably not being able to apply it to certain other industries but when i put it out there there are enough and many smart people in the world who are analyzing dissecting that information and giving me feedback saying it applies in these industries and it doesn't so i think it helps me refine my thoughts better uh, also i felt that investment banking as a service is something that my wife and i started and um when we did we it it happened through a lot of our learning that we had to do ourselves um we did not train under a big four in investment banking or a kota koran or a city bank or a jp morgan or anywhere where we were handed down formats and systems on how it was to be done we learned it along the way and we figured a lot of answers that we wanted to questions were not easily available in books in videos um we would talk to people who were in the space who would also not be able to give us clear answers or not be able to give us first principle reasoning as to why that thing happened they would tell us aise hota hai but kyun hota hai uska wo reasoning nahi pata so i think because we had to dig deeper and take out those reasonings i felt if it was becoming so difficult for me to extract some information because it's not that freely available uh to people i wanted to make it more accessible to people so that anyone who wanted to learn about it could just find this as one repository where they could come and just learn as much as possible uh, so i think those were the driving factors to your second question on um, whether influencer marketing is here to stay or it's a fad i think it's it's pure economics um over the past 2 years uh customer acquisition cost went up by uh you know it it almost doubled in a 10 month period um between 2020 to 2021 um and because of the excess liquidity because of startups raising so much capital just to burn on marketing and they were essentially just running the same ads on the same set of people on digital channels online that literally whoever they wanted to show that ad to has already seen it 10 times now if you put more money and show it to them 20 times if they don't want to buy it they won't buy or maybe it won't lead to conversion as much so your marketing spend is going up but your revenue is not going up as much and suddenly you realize that okay through influencer marketing you are being able to reach the right tg with a much lower spend so purely for economic reasons uh influencer marketing for customer acquisition has been cheaper in the past 2 years 
which is why there has also been a rise in influencer marketing prices and a lot of influencers are also constantly increasing their rates why because if they're being compared to what the cac is like by running a direct ad on instagram so even with a hiked up price if the customer acquisition cost is lower he knows why should he leave uh, money on the table and not charge it so i think at some point equilibrium will have to strike and for influencer brand deals to be relevant they will have to be lower than the instagram rate to still make business sense for people um and eventually it's it's not just about how many people you show the ads to uh essentially it's about customer loyalties and engagement which i think through influencers is probably easier to establish in a cohort which has the same ideology or is following the same person or following their idea on what kind of products to use uh so i think these are certain overarching reasons why it's probably here to stay got it got it i think that that clearly explains you know the whole peak that we had seen in terms of influencer marketing but you know just to double click on something very interesting that you had mentioned about you know instagram ad spends and you know influencer spending so how do you think you know that the ad spend on one side and over here i'm considering traditional ads instagram ads you know all sort of ad spends on one side and uh, you know way against influencer marketing spend on the other like how do you think this was there say a pre covid and how do you think this has evolved in a post covid scenario i think it's only uh, increased because uh, with covid people being back home you know it's all i mean i wouldn't say it's some great shakes thing that someone realized you know most business is about just being lucky with the timing and i think that's what it has been for most people who sitting at home realize they had time to spare people were watching so much more content online um and in fact even more than thinking that people were watching content we should know if you read this book called uh, attention factory which is the story of tiktok you know it basically tells you how it's these algorithms which are driving human behavior as to making you watch more so you may think it's your conscious decision that now we have time at home we're sitting at home so we're watching no it's it's how they're designed that they hook you and they make you engage with it and it is designed in a way to make some people overnight celebrities because that overnight celebrity status urges others to create more content because even they want to be overnight celebrities that's how they get more and more content creators on board by making celebrities out of a handful or a minuscule number so i think overall it's just an orchestrated system uh so the pandemic has probably just been a catalyst by throwing some throwing everyone towards uh, certain apps at the same time but the very fact that all social media apps try to do stories all of them now in fact even linkedin is moving towards video now and heavily promoting videos where people till about 2 months ago would say videos don't work on uh, linkedin you know um, i think it's all of them you have to think every platform just wants to engage and keep more users on them for a longer period uh, video helps you engage uh, 
through more senses than probably just reading does. And which is why people are more engaged, they're hooked. That's what platforms want. And yeah, if it, it's creating opportunities for some people to make money, I think that's how capitalism survives and grows and why not? It's amazing. Agreed. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, these organizations are spending. And one thing I've noticed that ET is doing this fantastic in a very good way. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, financial influencers promoting, you know, genius money or ET genius, something like that. And it's done totally through influencer marketing. Like every good financial influencer has, has been promoting either ET genius or Neo Global. So uh, I totally resonate to what you're saying in terms of, you know, spending less on ad spend and rather pay influencers to promote the product maybe saves a lot of cost and maybe decreases their CAC to some extent. So, uh, you know, just to uh, coming to the fag end of the conversation now, uh, we have this bonus questions for our, our guests and those are book recommendations. And I think you're a voracious reader. So can you just recommend you know, maybe your top three, four books? And, uh, you know, I am probably sure going to pick those up and start reading. Okay, so one is um, on negotiation. It's one of the most popular ones. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yes. Huge recommendation for anyone who wants to read. Uh, second, I'd say is on marketing in India. It's the CEO factory by Sudhir Sitapati. It's a phenomenal book and reads beautifully. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful read. That's the second one. Uh, third read, um, I would say, let me just take a look at my... Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Shoe Dog, I, I actually enjoyed uh, quite a bit. So yeah, Shoe Dog, quite a fun read. Sorry, I didn't get this book name. Shoe Dog, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's the story of Nike. Okay, Nike store, Nike, Nike store. Yeah, yeah, understood. understood. Yeah. Very, very good book. I, it's one of my favorite shoe dogs. Yeah, amazing book. So, thanks. Uh, I think those are good recommendations. I think I have not read the first two. So, I'll probably pick those okay. up and, and start reading. But, excellent, uh, you know, conversation. I, I think we could just go on on talking about this but just being mindful of your health and time as well so uh, probably we can do uh, maybe a second episode sometime later but we had a very good time at least i enjoyed the conversation because the insights you gave uh, i i don't think a book or any google search or anything would give the insights were from the market directly you know into this conversation so thanks a lot sarthak and in spite of your health uh, you know you just got time and uh, you know spend an hour with us so really appreciate that and we really had a lot of fun maybe summer can also uh, say something but i i really enjoyed the conversation absolutely loved it thank you samya thank you samarth i think that was really helpful and uh, it's been a pleasure for me i think this was a great conversation on uh, sunday yeah, I think Sarvath, the biggest takeaway from me was that, you know, given that I come from more of the traditional B-school side in India, right? And you're from ISB. Getting that perspective of how people, even with such a mammoth fees that they have to pay at ISB, still, you know, venture out to do something of their own right after graduating, just speaks volumes about, you know, the caliber that you are getting into the industry and, you know, your experience, skill set, right? Because 
a common person with such a high entrance fees wouldn't even have two thoughts that was you know i'll just skip placements and start something of my own so i think for me the biggest takeaway was how you planned it and how isb fits so well in your entire puzzle like you know whatever you're going to, whatever you would be doing post isb isb would be playing a very pivotal role in that even though that is not something you know that is in the form of a corporate job so i think that was something that you know really clicked and gave inspiration to me per se thank you thank you no definitely i owe a lot to isb in in many many ways i think for the opportunities for the experience whatever it was it, it was amazing without a doubt in this episode we got a lot of insights on how an mba not only gives you academic knowledge but also helps you grow your network and gives you an entrepreneurial mindset in fact sarthak is one of the youngest ca cs and cma in the country sarthak not only did not sit for college placements but was also sure to start something of his own and now is a renowned name in sme's fundraising space he also shared how he got into content creation and why he creates content only on startups He loves to read books and some of his recommendations are The CEO of Factory, Range and Shoe Dog. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and follow us for more such learnings.